Morning Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, again, it's great to see everyone here and um, just excited to worship together and um, hear from God's Word once again. I'm always thankful for the opportunity um, to try and rightly divide uh, the Word of Truth, and it is indeed a heavy task. Um, but I'm grateful that we have the full revelation of God's Word uh, that we can invest in and learn together. Uh, so let's begin with prayer. Uh, Father God, we just, uh, we praise you uh, again uh, that you have brought us to a point to where we are uh, desperately seeking after your Word to know your truth um, and how we can understand um, our role as disciples and followers um, of Christ. Uh, and we thank you for a place uh, like FIBC where we can gather together um, with the family of God to, to learn from one another and to enjoy one another in fellowship um, and to just uh, to see the joy that you place um, in our hearts through the power of your spirit, God. Um, and is that same power from the same spirit that we ask uh, to come and be present among us um, as we know you already are but that you would grant us an understanding of your word. And in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're kind of transitioning into a new um, section of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're about to enter into uh, the parables, which is really great. Um, I'm sure many of you have spent um, a lot of times hearing people tell stories about parables, and um, it's very common for people to teach lessons on parables and things like this, um, and some are very famous, as you know. Um, However, I will not be teaching about a specific parable, but rather why Jesus was teaching in parables. Um, and I think this is an important part of Scripture to understand before we really dive into the rest of uh, Matthew chapter 13, uh, where we see all these other uh, parables being told by Jesus. Uh, so I think um, for myself and for many people, chapter 13 can be really confusing um, and maybe frustrating at some times because there are stories about uh, sowing seeds and uh, net, casting nets to draw fish to the shore and things like this, and you may leave yourself scratching your head and saying, you know, what exactly do these things mean? Um, well, uh, for most of these, Jesus has explained what they mean, um, and later in the weeks to come, we will be learning. Um, but first, I think to really understand, there are some basic things um, that we need to know about parables first. And so up until this point, uh, Jesus really had few followers. Not many people were uh, flocking to Jesus to find out what he has to say, um, although there were some who uh, were faithful to follow him and to uh, trust the things that he was saying. Um, because I think in a lot of ways, Jesus didn't really meet up to the expectations that um, the Jews had for this promised Messiah. Um, I think they expected when this Messiah would come that all of Israel would just flock to him and that they would follow him and that he would be this, um, this political leader who would uh, usher in his kingdom through uh, political struggle and physical force. But instead, uh, Jesus is ushering in a kingdom through uh, his life as a servant um, and through sacrificial love all the way to death on a cross. And so this isn't at all the way that they pictured the king that had been promised to them. Um, but as we approach chapter 13, I think the interest um, in, 
who Jesus is, or at least who he's saying he is, is beginning to grow, um, so much so that uh, Jesus goes out into a boat um, into the water just so that he can see everyone. Um, and then he decides to start telling stories about farmers and seeds and weeds and pearls and bread and homeowners and things like this. And for a lot of the people, they were understanding what Jesus was saying about the kingdom of heaven through these stories. But for a lot, they were confused and they didn't really understand. Like for a lot of people, they thought, Jesus, why don't you just get to the point? You know, why are you beating around the bush this way? Um, but Jesus, as he does with all things, had a purpose um, for teaching about the kingdom of heaven in this way. Um, so we need to understand what these stories not only meant to people 2,000 years ago, but also what they mean for our lives today. And to do this, I think there are four basic questions that we need to ask ourselves um, and then answer to understand. Um, so the way the structure of the sermon will go is I will address these four questions um, and then I will also answer them. And I know what you're thinking, like no one likes the guy that asks a question and then answers it himself. Um, no one likes that guy, no one wants to be that guy, but unfortunately today I have to be that guy. So uh, just bear with me. Um, but however, I think we will really gain a lot of valuable truth from these four questions. Um, and so the first question, I feel like maybe a lot of you are probably expecting this to be the first question, um, but what is a parable? Uh, for many of us, we have a general understanding of what we know a parable to be or what we think it is, um, but it always helps to refresh our minds and to refresh ourselves about what it actually is. Um, and simple enough, it is a, a practical story that is framed as a simile. Um, and as I'm sure you know, a simile is just a comparison that uses like or as. And most of the time, Jesus is using like. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a, um, a shepherd who watches after his flock. And when one goes missing, he, goes, he leaves the 99 to find the one. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like um, a farmer who sowed many different types of seeds. Um, so Jesus is telling all these stories to tell what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he's not just telling these stories so that people can have, oh, well, this was a good story that I heard today. Um, there was purpose behind it, and it was to illustrate a spiritual truth um, of the way that he was ushering in this new kingdom and the way that he was um, implementing his rule over humanity. Um, so the first question is simple enough. Um, what is a parable? It's a practical story that um, is in the frame of a simile, and it shares a spiritual truth. Um, and so as we now know, if we didn't already know what a, a parable is, we can transition to the second question, which is how do we understand parables? Uh, this question obviously comes with much more weight than the first question, um, but this is really kind of what we want to know, right? We want to understand what, it, what is it that Jesus is teaching through these stories. Um, and so there's really um, lots of different explanations that people come up with for these parables, and, you know, for the history of the whole church, parables have been interpreted and misinterpreted um, in many, many, many different ways, uh, but we need to keep in mind that Typically, when an author um, writes something or a person is telling a story, uh, they're writing or telling the story with one main purpose in mind. Um, and often there are some other things that we can draw from the stories, but um, if you think about when you and I are telling a story to someone, we usually have one overall message that we're trying to communicate, right? Um, I think it's very similar in these 
uh, in these parables. Um, so I was doing some research and I found uh, this interpretation of the Good Samaritan that, I mean, this person, they really, um, it was very creative and very in-depth and they uh, found um, a correlation for every single detail in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, for example, uh, the man who was beaten was a sinner. The priest uh, represents the law. The Levite stands for the sacrifices. Jesus is the Samaritan who pays the bill. The inn is the church where believers are cared for. The two silver coins are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, the innkeeper is the Apostle Paul, and so on. And I, uh, I was reading this and I thought, wow, like, <laughs> I never would have drawn these conclusions. Um, but I also don't know where they came up with this, and it's interesting because neither Jesus nor the Bible ever explains this parable this way. Um, so we also have to be careful about the things that we draw conclusions to, um, because it's not just uh, what we can dream up, and we don't want to add things to the Scripture that aren't really there, um, and we also don't want to take things away from the Scripture that were intended to be communicated. Um, so how do we understand parables without abusing them or misunderstanding them? Uh, I think we should keep at least three principles in mind when understanding uh, a parables. And the first is to listen from the hearer's perspective. Uh, when I was taking a course on biblical interpretation, um, our textbook and the professor both said that we need to understand uh, what the text meant in their town before we can understand what it means in our town. Uh, and I think this was just a catchy way of saying, you know, culturally, the stories that were being told and who they were being told to are very different than uh, for anyone in the 21st century, really, because um, most of these stories were being told to first century Jews. Um, and I don't think anybody, any one of us can really relate with first century people from anywhere, uh, just living in an advanced world that we are today. Um, however, uh, we can... Uh, do research, and we can learn what types of things would have stood out to the people who were hearing these stories, uh, what kind of things would have caught their attention, um, and what kind of things would have really impacted their life. And I was thinking about this. Um, I'll save that for later. Sorry. Um, so anyway, we listen from the hearer's perspective, and then we look for the main point, um, and then we take the truth of the main point, and we let the truth of the main point change our perception instead of taking our perception and trying to put it into uh, the passage. And so in terms of listening from the hearer's perspective, um, we've really got to put ourselves in the shoes of the people who were hearing these things. Um, and so I was thinking about last summer, I was serving with a sports ministry in Toronto, Canada, and um, the whole point of us being there was to serve as student missionaries. It wasn't to do an internship that would look good on a resume. It was to be missionaries. Um, and really the, the focused people group that we were trying to reach were the Syrian refugees because there was this huge influx of refugees that had come into Toronto. Um, and so these people that were working with this ministry was like, we really want to reach them. Perhaps we could have some students come help us. You know, sign me up. I'm interested in doing this. I love sports. If I can reach people with the gospel through sports, that's incredible. Um, so anyway, there was this kid named Abdul Nasser and he came to camp literally every single day for five weeks. <laughs> like, he did not get tired of camp. But um, anyway, uh, after a Friday evening uh, and camp ended, his parents were like, you know, would you and the other students like to come to our house for dinner? And we're thinking, yeah, like in a couple of weeks? Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, 
And we were like, yeah, we would love that sometime. And they said, okay, we, we'll see you at six. And I'm thinking, okay, wonderful. <laughs> like uh, four hours notice, wonderful. Uh, so anyway, we show up at, um, at their house. And that day at camp, I'd shared the story of the prodigal son uh, during Bible study time. And so Abdul Nasser says, you know, Mr. Cody, will you share uh, the story of the prodigal son with my family? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I was super thankful that um, Abdul Nasser has they've given me this opportunity to share a Bible story with um, his parents who were Muslim, as was he, um, coming from Syria. And I was a little reluctant at first, but I obliged anyway. And so I'm sharing the story, and there, I didn't say this is from the Bible. I just said, you know, there was this man, he had two sons, and I'm um, going on with the story. But when I got to the part where the son returns home um, and the father runs to um, the son, his eyes were just like, so that's so absurd. Why would, uh, why would this father run to his son? Like, that would be so shameful, especially after his son had um, embarrassed him in such a great way. And I had no idea, so I was like, really? This, I didn't even know this was a valuable part of the story. And he was like, yes, a father would never run in public. That would just be embarrassing for him. And he certainly wouldn't run after his son, who had squandered all of this money and uh, made a mockery out of their family inheritance. Um, and I was like, well, that's incredible because, I mean, you see the father in the story, he did that. And so he says, why? And I'm thinking, well, now I understand a lot more of this story than I thought I did. And that's the fact that God doesn't really consider social expectations or um, conformities based on society uh, when he pursues us with his relentless love. And that was this part of this parable that I had never understood or even thought was significant um, but it really taught me a lot more about how we understand parables altogether, is that things that aren't significant to us might have been significant to Jews in the first century, and so we need to do research and find out what kind of things would have stood out to them. Um, next, to order, in order to understand a parable, we need to look for the main point, and so like I was saying, most of the time there is just one main point, but um, of course there are sometimes several other points that you can take out of a story. Um, you know, I notice people a lot saying that the Word of God spoke um, a message that was specific to them. And while I think that, you know, certain things impact the way that we read the Scripture, and certain things may stand out to us determining um, or depending on our situation or our circumstances, um, the overall message of the Bible is very much the same to everyone. Uh, God inspired it uh, with a common purpose in mind um, to share the same message with the world. Um, and it was written for a purpose, and if the whole Bible is written for a purpose, then surely these parables within the Bible were also written for a purpose. And so as we identify this main purpose and this main truth, that's what we need to um, allow to morph our perception of what the Bible is saying. So we don't need to come to the Word and say, okay, I already know this, this, and this about this story or about this Bible passage and then um, dictate the words to mean what we want to mean. Instead, we need to come to the Scripture um, as naive as possible to believe whatever truth that it says um, and let that um, morph our perception. Okay, so the answer to question number two, how do we understand parables, is listen from the hearer's perspective look for the main point, and let the truth change our perception. Um, so we've answered these first two questions, what are a parable and how do we understand them? 
Um, and so as we transition to the third question, why do we have parables? Um, this is a good question because, you know, some people might say, why didn't Jesus just get straight to the point? Um, I'm like this with people in general. Uh, sometimes people are sharing stories and they're giving me the d these details like, oh, I was nine or ten. Oh, no, I think I was nine. Like, I could care less. It doesn't matter how old you were. Nine and ten is basically the same. But no, I'm just kidding. But, um, uh, but really, I think some people were probably like, why is Jesus sharing these stories in this way? Why can't he just tell us um, what it means? Well, uh, Jesus was really sharing in parables for two reasons. Um, and he even alludes to this in his word here in Matthew 10, I mean, Matthew 13, starting in verse 10. He says, then the disciples came up and asked him, why are you speaking to them in parables? And so even the disciples are asking this question, like, why are you doing this? And he answers them, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given for them. Okay, so this is a twofold process for why he's teaching in parables. Because for the disciples who are believing um, in these mysteries and secrets of the kingdom, it was to reveal the truth of the kingdom to them. Um, but Jesus also says um, it has not been given to them, referring to all these other people who had seen miracle after miracle and teaching after teaching and still did not believe. Um, and so for them, he was teaching in parables to conceal truth. So the same exact story was both revealing truth to the disciples who were believing, and it was concealing truth to those who were seeing the obvious and still refusing to believe. Um, and this same principle is even displayed in the way the whole chapter is set up, because the first four um, parables that are taught are, are taught to large crowds and taught to audiences, but then the latter four parables are taught to the disciples, and also their explanation is taught only to the disciples. And so we can see the same um, revelation and consolation being taught in the structure of the chapter as a whole. Sorry. Yep. So many people in Jesus' day saw his miracles outwardly, but they refused to see what those miracles said about him. Um, they had heard what he said about being the Lord of the Sabbath, but they didn't understand uh, really the true weight of what it was that he was proclaiming to be. Uh, Jesus knew that these parables would not be rightly understood, and according to Isaiah 6, uh, this was clear evidence of God's judgment. And so we see um, in beginning in verse 14 that um, the writer Matthew starts quoting from the prophecy in Isaiah 6, where um, after Isaiah's commission, and he says, here am I, send me, you know, Isaiah asks, how long will I have to preach this message? And God tells Isaiah, you will preach and preach and preach and preach, and still people will not hear and they will not see, but you do it anyway. And so we see here, um, Matthew quotes the same prophecy. It says, you will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous, for their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back and I would heal them. Um, continuing on to verse 16, it says, but blessed are your eyes because they do see, and your ears because they do hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see, but did not see them, to hear the things that you hear, but not hear them. And this is so incredible because these things that Old Testament saints and uh, believers would have longed to have, the full revelation of God's word, we have it today. 
And these people who were rejecting and denying what was obviously the truth, they had Christ himself performing these miracles and his own words, uh, and they still did not believe. And so we definitely don't want to be among those who have this wonderful and beautiful revelation of God's word and still deny its truth. Uh, but instead, we want to be among the ones that God is revealing the truth of his kingdom to. And he's revealing the truth of his kingdom to us today, primarily through his word, but also through the work of the church um, and the Holy Spirit's power uh, being present among believers. Uh, and so there's two primary reasons um, for why we have parables. The first being to reveal truth. Um, to those who were believing, and this was evidence of God's mercy. Um, and the second being that Jesus was concealing truth um, from those who were denying the obvious, and this was evidence of God's judgment. Um, and a third but not as primary reason um, that I saw was that um, it's fulfilling prophecy, as we see from Isaiah. Um, Isaiah said that this was happening, and then here in Matthew we see that it's happening. So um, another reason was that uh, God had already inspired in the Old Testament that it would happen, and now it's, uh, it's being revealed in the New Testament. Uh, so last and finally, uh, the question that we need to ask is, what is the kingdom of heaven? Because all of the parables that we will learn about in the weeks to come are all to describe what the kingdom of heaven is. Um, and so we need to have a pretty good understanding of what it is and how uh, the kingdom of heaven is establishing its rule and reign here today and also in the future. Um, and it was interesting because I looked it up in the concordance and kingdom of heaven is mentioned 32 times uh, throughout the gospel of Matthew. And so I think if something is reiterated 32 times that God probably intended it to be very important and he intended, intended for us to pay close attention to it. Uh, much could be said uh, because the subject really spans all throughout the Bible, but instead I will try to keep it just specific to uh, to Matthew 13. Uh, but when we ask ourselves, what is the kingdom of heaven? Uh, I think in short, it is the rule and reign of God in Christ. Um, that God um, in Christ has been so sovereign over salvation, um, and he's so sovereign over disease and disaster, but also over um, love and relationships and joy um, in the work of the church. And uh, so we see that God's kingdom is being established in all things, but here in Matthew 13, it's specifically talking about the redemptive nature of his kingdom being established, meaning that his kingdom is being established through the redemption of sinners' hearts being drawn toward repentance and faith in Christ his Son. Uh, and there's a lot to be noted about the timing of this rule and reign of his kingdom and how it will come. Uh, because it is both uh, present today and it is also a future event. So uh, first, uh, it is present because the king is among us now. Uh, he lives in our heart and he is sanctifying our hearts. Um, and we're also um, furthering his kingdom today. Um, so we're doing things like evangelism and sharing the gospel so that more sinful, uh, unrepentant hearts will be redeemed um, and as more and more people are repenting and becoming followers of Christ, um, his kingdom is being more established here on the earth. But it's also a future realization um, because Christ is coming back. Um, so while he is present today, he is still returning uh, in judgment to judge the world um, based on 
um, our sins and most importantly, what we have chosen to believe and trust in regarding Jesus Christ's son and what he has done um, on our behalf. And so uh, it's kind of complicated to understand that something can be present and future, um, but the best way I really knew to understand it for myself is that um, it's happening now, uh, but it will be complete and fully consummated when Christ returns. Um, and so, in short, when we ask ourselves, what is the kingdom of heaven? It is the rule and reign of God through Christ. Um, it is a present reality. Uh, the king is here and his kingdom is advancing, and it is a future realization. The king is coming back, and his kingdom will one day be complete. Um, Jesus' parables tell of a kingdom that despite being um, unrecognized and rejected by some, is already accomplishing its purpose in the world. Uh, and it will one day be gloriously consummated, resulting in eternal judgment for those who reject the gospel and eternal life for those who are genuinely trusting in Christ and his reward. Um, so I ask that um, we would seek to be among uh, the people whom God is revealing truth to, um, and to be among that group of people, we have to first um, consummate our hearts to him, um, and he will um, come near to us to, to forgive us um, and purify us from our unrighteousness. And it is then, when we have placed our trust in Christ, uh, both as individuals and as um, a church, um, that we can really understand uh, the things that he is trying to teach us about his kingdom um, and we want to be kingdom-minded people. We want to be a kingdom-minded church. Um, and so we have to understand the truths about his kingdom to be kingdom-minded. Um, will you pray with me? Uh, Father God, I just thank you again uh, for the truth of your word. Uh, I confess um, my inadequacy to teach it, uh, Lord, but I'm so dependent on you uh, to communicate the message of your word clearly, Lord. Um, Lord, I praise you that we get to share in the blessing um, of salvation through your son, Jesus, um, that though he knew no sin, he became sin um, and died so that we might become the righteousness um, of you, that we might have your righteousness. Um, and Lord, I just ask that uh, you shed uh, your light um, on our lives so that we can see clearly your kingdom uh, being established here on this earth and that we will live with that in mind that your kingdom is still advancing uh, and the power to advance this kingdom is within us. Um, so embolden us to share your gospel and to share these same truths of the kingdom um, that were so important 2,000 years ago. Uh, let these same truths uh, reign in our hearts and let them be um, as important to us as they were then. Uh, and let us uh, teach them and communicate them clearly with boldness um, and love uh, to bring uh, lost sinners to, uh, to redeeming knowledge in you. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash fibccph. Thank you for listening.